Our scripture reading today uh, comes from a book that we don't read very often, the Song of Solomon. It has some, some interesting passages. And uh, this part is actually supposed to be the bride talking. So just imagine that as I'm speaking. Uh, but it comes from the chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Listen now for the word of God. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to pasture his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He pastures his flock among the lilies. This is the word of God for the people of God. So some of y'all know that I, I have a practice of every, uh, about a couple times a year, I'll go away and I'll plan out months in advance. And this year, it was about six months in advance. I was thinking, oh, we need a series on relationships, and we'll put it in the fall. And I scheduled, you know, communication and then marriage and then parenting. And as we've gotten closer to today, I've been shaking my head a little bit about the timing and wringing my hands a bit. And that's because many of you, if you're members, you got uh, an email from Pastor Matt this week. And if you read it, um, first of all, some of y'all read, oh my gosh, he's moving, he's not. Um, he, but he did share the news that he and his wife, Shauna, are separating. And Pastor Matt and I have been talking like, okay, but this is the week, you know, that we're supposed to be talking about marriage and uh, what should we do? What would God have us do? And as we've talked together over weeks, actually, and we prayed about it, we both decided we can't postpone. This is, as we talked about it, we're like, you know, we realize this is a church of imperfect people. All of us. Um, that's one of the things I've, I've said to Pastor Matt is that it, everyone is going to come alongside you and support you because we all know we're imperfect, right? And so we want to talk um, realizing that we're all in different places. I knew this. I knew this six months ago, that when I spoke to you about marriage, some of you would be like, please, I need this. Put the, tell me what God, what the plans and dreams are for marriage that God has and the tools that he gives me to get there. And some of you would be saying, well, but Pastor Laura, I'm widowed. I'm separated. I'm single. I'm divorced. And yet here we are, this community, and we're not only... Uh, imperfect, but we're saying we want God's love, God's perfect love, to flow into our lives. We want to be transformed. We want to grow, and we want to do that together. And so I'd invite you, as we come to this topic, marriage, whether you think, oh, it applies to me right now, or you think, I don't know how it applies, come with an open heart. Because something that you learn is going to help either someone in this community that you know or a child that you have, or a relative, or someone at work, or a neighbor. And then you can be the channel through which God's healing love flows for that person. So just community, let's know that this, is, this sermon is about hope. It's about promises. It is not about judgment, right? We are imperfect. And we just want to see what does God have for us in this relationship? And how do we get there? How, what are the tools God gives us to get there? So there are lots of ways that marriage is described, let's just say, in our culture, right? Usually negative, I found. Like, game over is what it says on a lot of, like, bridal party things, and the groom's like, wah, wah, right? Or ball and chain. God doesn't say that. God, God says that marriage is a partnership. 
that, that marriage is a blessing, that it's a covenant even. Um, there's all this beautiful language about marriage in the Bible. Now, if I said, if you looked at the, the biblical greats even, right, and you said, who has an outstanding marriage that we just want to pattern our marriage after? Maybe Mary and Joseph. Somebody just said that. Yes, but I'm using them for parenting, so we can't do that, right? And so... <laughs> We've got this one couple, and we're like, they killed it. And everybody else is the sad trombones. Wah, wah. I mean, I, I almost thought we'll just go through how everybody else fails, and we'll, we'll not feel so bad about ourselves. But instead, I thought, well, how about we just hold out the promise of God in a marriage? And we see how God gives us tools to get there. Okay, so if you are in a struggling place, if you've been through struggles, then just know you're in good company okay? You're in great company in the Bible. But God doesn't want to leave us there. He's going to help lift us up, right? And going to give us the tools. So let's look at this biblical metaphor I found in the Song of Solomon. Now, this is my favorite book for talking about marriage. It's this extended love poem. It gets kind of racy, okay? It does. There was, I actually heard long ago that Jewish boys were not, and girls were not allowed to read it until they reached the age of adulthood. Um, it's like the first R rating, and it's in the Bible, um, but it's, it's actually not, I don't think, inappropriate. That's why I'm preaching on it. Uh, it's just telling the reality of this couple's love story, and so you start out with young infatuation and, you know, just young love, and they get married, and they go through trials. Don't you love that? Like, it's just real. They're going through trials, they're fighting with each other, and they find a way to get out. There's temptations, and they find a way to resist. And finally, they have lasting love, love that has lasted years and years, from young love all through the ups and downs of marriage to lasting love. And we get a glimpse of this couple throughout their lifetimes in this love poem. And in this love poem, marriage is referred over and over again to a garden. So that's the metaphor God uses here, that marriage is like a garden. And so I want today for us to be invited into this Old Testament garden so that we can see what is it that God dreams of when he thinks about our relationships. And what, what was an Old Testament garden like? What did it provide? And then how can we be better gardeners? Right? Like what are the tools that God would put in our hands to make our marriages flourish? So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament garden was much more than ornamental and beautiful. It was those things. But in the Old Testament times, the garden was the pantry of the family. So you would have flowers and grasses and fountains, but you would have vital food supplies in there too. There would be maybe an apple tree or a fig tree or a persimmon tree. There would, be, um, there would be vineyards maybe, maybe some grapes, maybe some olives that you could press into olive oil. There would be vegetables planted, vitamin rich. There would be spicy onions and there would be herbs for flavoring, right? They would plant as much that they could eat in that garden. So it was beautiful, but it was also their pantry. And the the woman actually speaks about this in the Song of Solomon. So she talks about the nourishment that her marriage provides. She says, like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. It's kind of racy, right? It is. But there's a, there's a key biblical truth here 
that marriage is supposed to, it's designed by God to be this place where we are nourished, where we are built up, where we are growing more fully into who God has for us to be, the dreams that God has for us, right? The, the sharp edges are coming off because of our relationship with this other person. Our strengths, they're helping us realize our strengths. And every year, we're a little stronger. We're a little less afraid. We're a little less beholden to the, to the sins that trap us up, right? This garden is feeding us this marriage. It's supposed to be nourishment. Okay, so marriage is nourishment. It's also a space to rest as God designed it. So in the, in the ancient world, gardens had tall walls, now, our gardens don't, uh, but there were tall walls and it kept out predators because food, there's food in there, right? And so all the predators are kept out and all the neighbors that are like, yo, an apple tree. Nope. There's a door. There's a lock. You don't have the key, Bubba. Keep moving, right? This is a place where you could go when you had a huge hard day. You could shut the door and the stress of the world recedes. This is a place of safety and renewal that God is giving us in the midst of life. And the couple also talk about that. My lover said to me, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter is past and the rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up and the season of singing birds has come. And so here's a couple who have gone through the winter, who have gone through the rains, the storms, right? And because of this little sanctuary of their relationship, they're ready to go out and it's singing birds. And so one of the gifts that God gives us in love relationships is that we have this place where whatever storms are raging in our life, where we can just find a little bit of sanctuary with this other person. So marriages are places God designed to nourish us, to give us a respite and a rest, and finally, to fill us with delight. That is a huge theme in the book Song of Solomon. But I know that there are kids here, so I have chosen a tame verse. Here we go. Your love delights me. This is the husband, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. <gasps> Kissing in the Bible. Yes. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Mm -hmm. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. I'll stop there. You can go on if you read it on your own. Um, what does this tell us? This tells us a lot of people think, well, you know, God just designed us to be partners and work together and have raised kids. No. God could have made marriage utilitarian and functional for getting the work done, but instead we have an entire book of the Bible that talks about the pleasure and the passion and the joy and the intimacy that are supposed to be in this garden, right? This private garden. And so if you ever have that voice in your head that says, that's, sometimes y'all have that, that that's wrong, no. Marriage is a place that God designed to be enjoyable, delightful, passionate. Okay? That is the vision of this Old Testament garden. 
that it's a place of nourishment. It's a place of rest. It's a place of delight. In fact, I I read a commentator, a Jewish commentator, a rabbi said, if you have not read the Song of Solomon to your beloved while you're snuggled up in bed together, you have not experienced it. Okay? Maybe that's homework for y'all. Okay, so you're looking, you're looking at uh, this garden, and you're saying, well, Pastor Laura, that sounds amazing, but I feel like when I'm looking at my own marriage garden, I see cedar and mesquite trees and sticker burrs. I mean, the sticker burrs are really flourishing, right? What in the world, you know, how do I get to this place of beauty, this oasis of rest, this place of delight? Like, how do I get there? Well, let me tell you, God never holds out a promise to us and goes, just kidding, not for you. Never. When God holds out a promise to us, it's because he's giving us the tools to get there. Okay? So no matter if you have mesquite trees and cedar trees and a great flourishing crop of sticker burrs, God can help you get to the garden of nourishment and rest and delight. And he gives us some gardening tools to do that. Okay? I want to start with the best one. Okay? Because we're going to get to the work we've got to do, but I want to start with the fun stuff. And that is um, joy. Okay? Joy is a beautiful gardening tool for your marriage garden. This is what the wife says, and I want you to see if you can pick out what she's suggesting here. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Don't get dirty. It's a date night, okay? Um, This is a date in the Bible. Like She's suggesting that the wildflowers are blooming and they should go camping. Dating your spouse is not a secular thing. It's a deeply biblical thing to do. And the Song of Solomon is full of times when this couple will go away from their responsibilities, from their work, and they will just have time together. They'll enjoy the beauty of the world. They'll enjoy God's creation. They'll get closer to each other and closer to God. And I find, y'all, that when I'm doing premarital counseling for couples, uh, they don't have any problem with this, right? Like, when I counsel couples, they're usually sitting on each other's laps, almost. I mean, they're with a pastor, so they, they may not be, but their arms are wrapped up, and they're just looking at each other's eyes, and they're full of love. And then you get 10 years down the road, and it's like, oh, we're just raising the kids, and we're doing the things, you know? Like, and we forget, we forget the joy, and joy is one of the things that God gives us as a tool to get the sticker burrs out, right, and make it flourish. And so we, all we need to do is date each other, right? Our spouse, not each other, your spouse, right? Um, you know what I'm saying. Date your spouse. <laughs> Gosh, that could go wrong so many ways date your spouse. Maybe, maybe that's just a time thing. Anybody here busy? So you just have to say, you know what, this is, this is the first relationship, this is the covenant relationship in my life that God gave me, right? And so God wants me to take care of it. And in a great way, right? Dates. And so maybe your homework is to just go home and say, okay, what night of the week are we going to set aside and say that's date night? And you do that together. You find that day, and then if things come up, you can always move it around, but make sure you have it. Because if you are pouring joy into your relationship, the garden is going to flourish and be strong enough that when you hit the hard times, you will have the resources, and the garden will be strong enough to survive. It's going to have those deep roots. 
Um, so do a date night. Now think, okay, a lot of times this is what Kevin and I hit, um, is that we have a date night, but we look at each other and we're like, hey, what do you want to do? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. So maybe you need a little bit of extra planning. And I want you to go home and your homework will be, what are 12 things that you and your beloved both enjoy? Okay, it can't all be like monster truck rallies, right? Demolition, like make it something that you both enjoy at least sort of, and then start dreaming. Like, okay, so say we have a night a week, what are we gonna do? Um, it's about to get nice, right? We keep hoping that it's gonna get nice out there sometime soon. And when it does, you could go for a hike, you could go for a picnic by the lake. If you have a boat, you could take the boat out. Um, you can go sit under the stars, you could light the chiminea if you have it. Um, be safe with fire if you don't. You know, there, you could go out to eat, right? Some of y'all just love exploring new food places. You could hit all the food trucks that you've been wanting to try. Um, some of you like wine tastings or olive oil tastings. Some of you like live music. We are right outside the live music capital of the world, right? Like, see the concerts and say, we're going to go see this, this, this. You could think of events. You might be parasailing or hang gliding. Some of y'all are crazy and adventurous, right? You might just say, hey, every week, how about we get a dinner and we eat it outside as the evenings get nicer, right? Make a list. And then that way it's going to be something you're looking forward to. You're saying, oh boy, we get to go do this thing. Um, and then in small ways, pour joy in. So those, that's just the regular time that God would have us spending so that when we hit the snag, we've got those deep roots and flourishing to help get us through. And then the small things, again, y'all, young couples, um, young in love, we do this naturally. Like, I love you, heart, heart, heart text, right? Send, oh, Kevin, so dreamy, right? And then, and then Kevin and I are like, you know what we text each other? Who's getting the kids? Can you get milk? We're out. Oh, we need eggs. You know, why not throw in, you're so dreamy, I love you, right? That doesn't take that long. You're driving home and you say, oh, Gigi's Cupcakes, football players work there. I'm going to go see a football player and get a cupcake, right? And you get a cupcake and bring it home and share it. That's not that expensive, right? You make your beloved their coffee and you put some cinnamon in it. Just as a surprise, you think about that other person and you think, what is the small thing that I could do, the little things day after day that would just show that I love this person and I'm glad to be sharing this garden with them, okay? The tool of joy, abundant use of it. You cannot overwater the garden with joy. You cannot. The second thing you need to do when y'all are like, yep, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, is you need to work, right? Any gardener will tell you, gardens do not flourish by accident. They die without attention. That's what happens if you ignore them. And so you need to work on it. Um, our community garden, our pharmacy garden, was a patch of sticker burrs, right, and grass. And then volunteers from this church got a hold of it, and they work every week. And now it's given away 1,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables this year. It's unbelievable. Well, that's what God says we can do in our marriages with just some work. And especially I want to encourage you, we need to work when the storms hit. When those outside things that we can't control come at our marriage, they can be very heavy. And I've seen relationships strain with those kinds of things. This couple faces that too. And she says, she says to about that time when they're struggling, 
One night as I lay in my bed alone, I yearned for my lover. I yearned for him, but he did not come. So I said to myself, I will get up and roam the city, searching in all its streets and squares. I will search for the one I love. And there are times when we are struggling where we have to be like, I wish you'd come and fix this. I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you when it's hard. Um, when you've got three kids, right? When, it, when the job is crazy, um, when you get a horrible diagnosis, when stuff is going on with your in-laws, when you lose a parent, when, when stress happens, one of the ways God gives us to keep our marriages strong is to just take the hand of your beloved and say, this is terrible, but we're going to face it together. And God is going to be with us, and we're going to get through it to the other side and the singing birds. And God will help you get through. You do the work that, that God has before you. You take each other's hands, and God will get you to the birds and get you through the storms. The final thing that the Song of Solomon says, it actually says a lot more than this, but the final thing that we can do to keep our marriage garden strong, that last tool, is we can get really good at resisting temptation. Temptation is universal to being a human. We all face it. And before we were believers, it was whatever fortitude we had, whatever strength, whatever capacities we had against that temptation. And once we become followers of Christ, suddenly Jesus gives us his victory. Puts his victory over sin into our hands as a tool, right? And says, now you have the power in my name, in Christ's name, to resist, to overcome. You have this tool now, right? The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you because you are in Christ, because Christ's power is within you. And so where before we might, we might not have resisted temptation, now God is giving us the tool to resist. And the wife talks about this. She says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. So the foxes here are temptation, and some of y'all who know grapevines know that grapevines don't really become fruitful in the first year or even a couple of years. They really take centuries to reach their maturity, to have that sweet fruit that you can use for wine and all that. And then one predator, the wife says, can ruin everything, can devour the work of decades, right? So she says, catch the foxes. And I, I actually saw this visually, Judy Wisdom, some of y'all know Judy. She sent me a picture of her persimmon tree. It's got fruit on it. And there was a fox up in the tree eating all of the fruit. So she took a picture and then she dealt with the fox, right? And it wasn't like, oh, little fox, come be my pet, right? It was like, bye fox. You know, you're eating the fruit. And when we're talking about a temptation, we need to rid ourselves of that, not keep it around as a pet. Rid ourselves of the temptation. And sometimes that, 
that takes drastic steps. Like, I don't need to, if it's a person, then don't be around that person. Sometimes I've had folks who say, I needed to change jobs or I needed to move because that person was a temptation and I didn't need to be around it. Um, I've counseled so many folks who said, well, you know, I just, I just friended my ex on Facebook. Thought it was fine. You guys, don't do that. I know it might be fine, but it might not be. Don't open the garden to a potential predator. Keep them out, right? Maybe some of you struggle with things that are online. That's a common temptation now. If that's you, then move the computer to a place where it's in the center of the house and there's certain times when you're using it, right? We do everything we can to make the walls of the garden high and strong. And then when temptation strikes, because it will, we trust God to help us to do what we can't do. So when that temptation hits, you just pray. You start by praying and saying, God, I feel so powerless. I don't know what to do, but you are my strength. You let God's strength augment your own. You find a friend who's a believer that you trust, and you share the struggle with them. And that's hard to be vulnerable, but you talk to them, and you say, could you hold me accountable? And they will. And then if you still need more, we can get you a Stephen minister. You can come talk to me. I'll help you access that power from God to resist and to overcome because it's there for all of us. Okay, so what if you say, well, but Pastor Laura, if I had just known this, the story would have been different, but a fox got in. A predator got in. Well, y'all... This is not just a church for people who always perfectly resist temptation. This is a church for imperfect people. And Jesus said that he didn't come for the healthy people. He came for the sinners and the sick and the broken. To forgive. To offer a second and a third and a 50th chance. And I know sometimes, I know sometimes the garden is so damaged and destroyed that there is no way to rebuild it. I know. But I have seen amazing miracles of reconstruction. When two people, when there has been a predator, but there is forgiveness and there, there is an attempt to rebuild, you just start and you just say, okay, I have this seed let's put it into the ground together and water it. Okay, well now we found this seed. And those couples offer each other forgiveness as many times as it takes to settle into the heart of the one who was hurt. And slowly the garden can come back. I've seen it. And I, I can tell you some of the most beautiful marriage gardens are those that have been through a disaster and have come out to the other side. And some of those sit among you today. God says that marriage is a garden. There is hard work and there is deep joy. So let's put on our gardening gloves. Let's do some gardening. Let's save some of our best words, some of our best time, some of the best of who we are, especially for the one we love. Let's pray. God, we are your community. You know right where each of us is, the struggles that we face in relationships, 
and the joys. And I pray that you would be putting the tools into our hands to make the, the love relationship of our life flourish. Help us to, if we are married, take the hand of our beloved when we hit storms and hard times and walk with us to the other side. Most of all, God, help us um, to trust you and your promises, to look to you when our strength and our patience and our time seems like it's not enough and give us what we need, God, so that all the marriages here could be verdant, beautiful gardens. We ask this in your amazing name. Amen.